to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious and merciful peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the uh, the uh, weekend world show uh, with me, Wali Ahmed Hassan Ahmed. is otherwise engaged on an, uh, a noble business, I must say, and we'll be back in the uh, when we have the next show. So until then, um, Saf uh, Ahmadi and I will be trying to hold the fort with regard to this week's uh, uh, broadcast. Uh, we can listen to the Weekend World Show on The Voice of Islam. You can listen uh, on DAB radio, mobile, and online 24 hours a day. Broadcasting live from Battle of Thud, the largest mosque in Western Europe. Uh, Weekend World Show is a current affairs show This uh, with the week's news, views, and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective. Uh, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, and topics of faith and enlightenment. A message of Islam for the West. So join us and share your views or stories by phoning in on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or you can, well, you can tweet us. But I think that perhaps is not the right uh, terminology to use anymore. You can X us on uh, at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, the views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. And um, uh, joining me to. Um, um, broadcast this particular show is Saif uh, Ahmadi. Asalaamu Alaikum. How are you, sir? Wa Alaikum Asalaam. I'm Wilid Yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? Voice um, alright? There we go. There we uh, go. Yeah. yeah um, uh, no, very good. Jazakallah. Thank you very much. Weather is uh, oh, turning. gone again. You seem to have gone again. Oh, the mic's on again. Can, uh, can you hear me? I can't hear you now. Can you hear me? Can you say something? Because yes. we can't, we won't yeah, hear you yeah, if you're yeah, not, yeah. unless you're speaking. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking. I'm yes, talking. I can hear you now. Okay. Excellent. All right. Um, so uh, you're not being ignored. <laughs> there are a few technical issues this morning, but yeah. But apart from the technical issues, yeah, yeah everything uh, 
everything is good apart from I guess the the, the weather slowly turning against yes, us. Yes, that's right, Angel. I, I had the the weather. You know, this latest forecast for the UK as far as today is concerned: staying uh, cloudy, windy this afternoon with outbreaks of rain for north and west. Uh, some uh, falling heavy and persistent, remaining drier and brighter further to the south and east. Winds strengthening tonight with heavy rain continuing in northern Scotland and western Britain. Uh, most of the rain will ease by the early hours, but a bad, but a band of light uh, rain will linger in the south. So uh, you were saying, yes, uh, it seems that the forecast is uh, actually supporting what you were s- saying, that the weather has turned a bit... Um, yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, yesterday. I think we had to get the <laughs> had to get the um, uh, the stronger duvet out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <You know>? I see. <laughs> That's well. a, sort of where we're getting to, I guess, okay. in this time of year. But yeah, no, it's uh, it has been a little bit more cloudier. So yeah, what? no, it's uh, it's uh, I guess it's just the just the normal seasons hmm. uh, taking place. Yeah, um, we had um, we normally. Um, uh, Mull over a quote, quotation uh, uh, or two at this stage of the program. And the one that uh, I picked up was from Henry Ward Beecher. He was an American congressionalist, um, clergyman, and social reformer. And he said, we are always on the anvil. By trials, God is shaping us for higher things. Yeah. So very, yeah. I it, mean, do you think this is very profound? It is a very profound mm-hmm. uh, way of looking at things. It's, As we're uh, passing through this cost of living crisis, you absolutely. Think? But I think, I mean, it's a very strong, <laughs> strong quote. <laughs> I would say, but yeah, you, you know, it's. I think for many people at the moment, it does feel like that, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's, uh, mm-hmm. um, it? It seems to be a sort of constant, uh, constant stream of news, a constant stream of difficulties that face us. But yes. Uh, it is all of these things mm. uh, shape us uh, ultimately, you know. It like broadcasting it, this program. It really does, yes, yeah. This is another end of it, But yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, like, we, do, we do face our trials. It's, uh, everything becomes... Um, and, and, it's, and it's important, it, I think, to be philosophical about it a lot of the time, um, you know, as, as much as one can be. Mm-hmm. So everything's character building. It is, say, yes? yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the show. What, what, what do we what do we have for listeners today then? So today on the show, we'll begin with some of the news headlines. Uh, we'll do that on the news review segment of the show. And in the wake of so many disasters that are inflicting the world these days, um, we'll be reviewing the work of Humanity First uh, in its efforts to alleviate human suffering around the world. Mm. So that should take us to 11 o'clock and the news that is broadcast then. Uh, What do we have after that then? Well, after that, we've got Azhar Ahmadi. He will be joining us after the news to discuss the survey that reveals the worrying decline of Christianity and, for that matter, religion uh, in Britain. And in the latter part of the show, we'll be talking to Mansour Manan, uh, a long-serving executive in uh, Islamic banking. I guess with the current turmoil created by the Bank of England um, and, you know, with all the interest rate movements, um, we'll be examining how Islamic banking can offer solutions while operating in the current economic system. Oh, that'll be interesting. Mm. Uh, And of course, we'll be having Shahid at the end of uh, the uh, program with sports. So lots to cover, lots to do, and uh, let's go down with the show. And uh, uh, as I mentioned before, if you want, uh, and I'm addressing our listeners, that if you want to share 
your views or comments, uh, then please feel free to do so. You can do that by phoning in on 0208-687-7878 or What's the, what's the right phrase? We can't say tweet. What can we say? Is it? Um, we can't say X either. Is I it? don't That's even not... know, actually. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, mm. I keep on using the term tweet. tweet. Okay. Um, I guess well, you, you can carry us. on doing it. I mean, you know, it's it's still there. It still yeah. exists. So, right. so <laughs> we'll yes. work it out. We'll work out what okay. you're supposed to say. So we can, uh, yes, you can contact us uh, through what used to be, what is X, <laughs> uh, and used to be Twitter, at Voice of Islam UK. Right, um, so uh, let's have the news review and the jingle. Here we go. Weekend World. Look at this week's news, views and reviews. Right, um, uh, Wahab uh, is our technician in the uh, technical room, so I hope uh, he can put uh, Philip Gent through. Uh, because he's the uh, person who's going to be discussing the uh, the news uh, with us, and in his absence, then Saf, I think you will have to fill in. Sure. Uh, and the first item we have is uh, regarding what was reported earlier on during the week, uh, which uh, the time mentioned as, and I quote: Sunak used a Downing Street news conference to announce that the ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars would be pushed back from 2030 to 2035. He also exempted a fifth of the households from the plans uh, to phase out the sale of new gas boilers from 2035. Now, my light is on. It says that um, uh, Philip is, uh, is on the line. But he hasn't been put through. Bahab, if you can put him through, that would be great. I think he's having problems. Yes, that should be red. You see, uh, Saf? So, oh, he, right. Thank you very much, Bahab. Uh, uh, alaikum, Philip. Are you on the line or are we speaking to somebody else? Hmm? <laughs> 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 very good morning you see we're all learning a bit because uh, our boss is away so we're trying to yeah. uh, feel our way through this now yeah. did you hear what i said earlier about uh, mr sunak um, and his watering down well alleged watering down of uh, his uh, drive towards net zero yes I okay heard, i heard i heard good I heard you. Do you think, then, uh, that uh, the Prime Minister has gone soft on his commitments to this, uh, to this target? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that the evidence bears, bears that out um, mm-hmm. at all. Um, I, think, I, think, I think if we just step back a little bit and, and, and look at where we are at the moment in relation to potentially meeting the target or missing the target. Um, Since 1990, we have reduced our carbon emissions by 48%. uh, And that compares favorably with the G7, uh, where emissions have reduced by only 7%. So in, in, in comparison to our 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 comparable nations, um, we are well ahead of, of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, the second point, to important point, which I think has been missed, is 
that in order to to get electricity into homes and businesses, we need to expand the grid, the national grid. And that, at the moment, um, is, is an area that needs to be prioritised because in relation to sources of electricity, um, renewable sources of electricity that are awaiting connection to the grid, um, that there's about you know that is sufficient for 50% of our future energy needs. So the the issue isn't really renewables, but um, it's it's about connecting it to the grid. So if we look at it end to end, there are other issues in play here that that would need to be resolved um, to to reduce the usage of fossil fuels anyway. So um, what Sunak has done is he's eased eased the pain on consumers, um, which I think is 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 fair to do in in a cost of living crisis. Why should consumers, you know, suffer mm-hmm. when there are these other issues that need to be uh, resolved? Um, when one looks at this end to end, he's just extending the date from 2030 to 2035, isn't he? In, so, in the drive towards ex- <coughs> to towards achieving net zero, so that's what the criticism is that he is delaying uh, certain uh, <coughs> certain uh, certain uh, matters, certain aspects, certain achievements, certain targets. That's right. So, okay. so the net the net zero target date is 2050. Mm. But as an as an interim measure, there was um, a stipulation that only hybrid vehicles would be sold after 2030. And what the government has said is, well, pure, you know, petrol and diesel can be sold after 2030, up to 2035. So that that is the change. But also. In relation to gas boilers, there is there is the there is the change now that that they can be installed up to 2035, mm-hmm. given given they have an ex you know the boilers expected useful life is circa 15 15 years. So that kind of makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. So um, what exactly can you, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, just tell us what exactly is net zero? So net zero is the carbon footprint um, uh, of the nation um, um, and, you know, reducing um, that carbon footprint is Mm. is very, very important to stabilize our environment and our our ecosystem generally and so that we can live in harmony with nature. Um, Otherwise, um, the impact on nature of having excessive carbon emissions is to destabilize um, destabilize it uh, and it becomes a lot more difficult to for the for us to live in the world and it mm. could result in extreme weather um, it could result in mass migration and a huge upheaval to to the way we live our lives mm. so it is acknowledged I mean you're quite right about the 2050 date and uh, net zero essentially is that uh, economies have pledged that the total emissions of carbon dioxide, methane and other gases that warm their atmosphere will be equal to the amount of these gases they remove from the atmosphere. So uh, the consensus uh, that has been agreed is uh, that uh, we should reach net zero emissions by 2050, as you mentioned. 
and that's to avoid uh, climate breakdown. And uh, I think that nobody would uh, dispute with you that um, we are well on our way, even uh, despite uh, Mr. Sunak's uh, announcement that we are on our way to achieving that by yes. 2050. So you're quite right. Um, Seth, would you like to quiz, yeah, no, quiz think, our, uh, uh, our, yeah, our guest? Absolutely. Philip, um, <clears throat> I think the concern well, over here comes a little bit on, on the back of the fact that only only a month ago, um, the Rishi Rishi Sunak was actually um, he kept on saying that he was committed to this 2030 date, and he's pushed it out to the 2035. What what exactly is the reason for that? I mean, we're talking about a five year change. It doesn't really seem to make much sense as to why and what the reasoning for that five years actually sort of encompasses. Yes, so 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 the change just 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 to reiterate because I think it, it sort of got lost in in, in in the round you know generally is that from 2030 you know we will be able to sell petrol pure petrol and pure diesel cars um, whereas before we were you know it was envisaged that hybrid vehicles could could continue to be sold after 2030 now Clearly, we are increasing um, the North Sea oil. Um, we are handing out licenses, and production is expected to increase. And as as one of our three pillars to our energy policy, you know, just you know that that involves consumers, which we've been talking about, but also you know it in- involves security. So if we are going to increase our North Sea oil production, there will be more fossil fuel av- available, and and I guess you know it aligns the car industry with. Um, with our measures in relation to the North Sea to an extent. And then, but uh, yeah, but I mean, I think, again, going back to uh, w- what we were discussing, I think there was a commitment for the 2030, which was uh, which was actually in, um, introduced by the Conservatives, um, by Boris Johnson's government, and now is being rolled back by the Conservatives um, almost immediately. Is there? Do you think there is another reason for this rather than just the climate catastrophe as to why Rishi Sunak has chosen to bring it out now, considering that he's getting quite a bit of criticism from his own party right now uh, uh, over the move? Well, if you remember back to 2019, Saif, um, in the wake of 2019 election, 2040 was actually the purported date so you know 2030 was well ahead of our comparable nations like france and germany um the united states you know california new york and all the other states in between um and 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 going to 2035 aligns us with our comparable economies around the world so I don't think there's anything untoward about doing that. Um, ultimately, we are responsible for 1% to 2% of global emissions. Um, so again, in the round, looking at this globally, um, in a world that has changed since we actually set that very aspirational target of 2030, to, um, this measure is... Is, is, is a reasonable measure to take. Thank you. Uh, Philip, don't, don't go away, but uh, we're having a, a Lib Dem conference uh, currently, 
and we've got Nasser Bhatt on the line. Uh, Nasser, uh, uh, thank you for... Assalamu alaikum. Uh, thank no, you for coming. Oh, tell me, um, are you uh, like your, like your um, predecessors in the past, the leaders of your party in the past? Are you preparing for government? <laughs> you go a long way back, don't you? Um, <laughs> no, no, it, Joe Swinton in the la- last election, Joe yeah, Swinton was yeah, saying that, you know, uh, I'm yeah, going to be ni- next yeah. Prime Minister. No, but she was copying uh, Paddy Ashton. Uh-huh. Uh, Paddy Ashton used to do wonderful, wonderful conference speeches. And he used to use Shakespeare and all sorts of um, anecdotes to actually make political points. Mm-hmm. And it's one of, those, um, one of his favorite... Uh, Things then just before election, and you say, Right, we're going to go get prepared for government. And this was just a tongue in cheek kind of stuff. Hmm. And uh, of course, um, uh, the recent one, which everybody remembers, because uh, mocked it a lot, uh, but it was a tongue in cheek sort of uh, to, to his soldiers, if you like. Let's go and get on with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, what's happening in, uh, what, what, what kind of change do you think that uh, the Lib Dems can deliver? Um, what can we achieve? Right. Mm. Well, well I, people don't have uh, uh, long memories, but people don't really um, uh, remember details, so they remember headlines. But let me give you three examples and uh, what Lib Dem, a third party, have achieved. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the, the in the uh, you know the the NHS, the education, free education, and nationalisation of important things for the masses. This was done by government Labour government after the war, but it was actually a draft and detailed um, uh, policy of the two great liberals, Lloyds, George Lloyds, and Beveridge. Mm-hmm. It was their uh, plan, their masterpiece, and the Labour Party took it and adopted it into the government. So people don't, don't always remember uh, the kind of things that intellectuals behind the scene can achieve major changes like that. Now, that's a big, big one. Then, if you, if you uh, there are lots of examples, but if you go back to a coalition time, you will see that the, there were some major changes go by the Lib Dem policy. But I just want to highlight one where on the inequalities in this country and, and the countries around the world that the people with gender differences, you know, um, uh, gays and uh, lesbians and other forms of, they've been underworld, they've been criminalized everywhere, including England. Mm-hmm. And what we, what we achieved was the equality to give them the marriage ability to manage and live in a normal life. That's a huge change in this country. So are you, are, are you just influencers? Is that what you're saying? You're influencers, but you're not really actually Absolutely. ever in a well, position yes. to govern. No, no, they are our product of these conferences. They mm-hmm. are product of our intellect about the mm-hmm. problems of the society. Mm-hmm. And we work and we deliver that. There's two ways of delivering it. First of all, we are a large party in the House of Lords which we did not diminish in the mid-noughties, mid, uh, okay? And they control the government through coalition with like-minded peers from both other parties. Mm. So the government extreme agendas are often controlled by uh, the lords, and the Lib Dems are there in a strong position to do that. Mm. I was at the conference yesterday when we passed another policy, which is an incredible policy, which will become government. 
And for some time, council, Indian Council, like Sutton, has been handing out free sanitary products to girls in education and ladies in poor who can't afford the sanitary products. Okay. And what we passed, what we passed was is a policy which we want the government to bring about that all girls in education, full-time education, should mm. get a free sanitary products, mm. and all women in a poverty criteria should get a free. And that will liberate women from all sorts of problems yeah. in all sorts of cultures because they all suffer from that. No, thank and you. These uh, are the kind of things yes. that can bring changes. Nasa, can I bring Philip in? Uh, Phil, uh, yes, sure. Yes. Uh, Philip, uh, there's a raft of different uh, ways that the Lib Dems have influenced government. Um, uh, you're not doing too well. The Conservatives are not doing too well uh, in the polls. Are you really worried that the Lib Dems may well become the second of the main parties along with Labour? Is Philip there? I, I think can answer for it. Hello. <laughs> Did you hear my question? I, I did, sorry. You I didn't I like it. Myself, <laughs> I, I put myself on mute. So. Oh dear, no. <laughs> I, 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 I thought he's on over here and I have to answer that question. <laughs> uh, well, well, well. Are you trembling? <laughs> are, you, are you trembling with fear with what, uh, what uh, Nasabat has said and the onslaught of the Lib Dem uh, party coming to occupy uh, the seats of one of the two main parties in the UK and pushing yep. you out? Right. So, so the, the Lib Dems um, do not have, and uh, as, you know, NASA would, would 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 acknowledge this as well. They do not have the national footprint, nor do they have the resources to undertake an, a national campaign in every constituency, in every seat. That the funding isn't there for the Lib Dems. So, we're, we're we're not we're not concerned in in that sense, though. Clearly, the Lib Dems are a potent threat uh, in certain parts of the country, and that, as, as a Conservative Party, we acknowledge, and we are up for the fight, mm -hmm. uh, and we're, 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 we're ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe, uh, with the Lib Dems in those areas where, where the Lib Dems will target their resources, and, and they will target those resources in the South, um, and um, we, we, we're fully aware of that. And um, I think 12 months out, roughly from the election, we're, we're drawing our battle lines, both for the Lib Dems and for, for Labour. Philip, I just, <clears throat> sorry, just actually going on from that point, and I think sort of coming um, a little bit more from what we had, and I, I apologise, you're only getting these questions because you're the guys in charge <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> but it's uh, the, the Conservatives right now... <clears throat> There's obviously the, the it's it's become very fractured um, over the last, um, especially I would say uh, if you go over the last decade, it's become even more fractured. Um, it does look like a party that's not uh, particularly in unity. Whereas the Lib Dems, for example, and to a to to a, to a lesser extent, Labour seem to be a lot more unified on policy and decision making and direction. Um, that's going to be a problem for you, no, in the next uh, in in the in the coming general election. I think I think um, when a party's been in power for 13 years, um, the electorate time for this to change. Please allow me. The, the electorate may well be thinking uh, that there's time for a change. But let me tell, tell you tell you this. I, I've been phoning residents in Mid Bedfordshire this last week for four evenings. This week I was on the phone. 
Um, and there, obviously, the Lib Dems uh, are, are, you know, in with a shout, shall we say. Um, but what I'm getting back from residents is they don't see a viable alternative. So even after 13 years, policy remains a huge issue, both for the Lib Dems and for Labour. You know, we, we don't fully know what the Lib Dems stand for, what are the policies, um, specifically, and what are the local policies versus the national policies? Because often you find in the by-elections, the local Lib Dem candidate will profess policies which are juxtaposed to what the Lib Dems are professing nationally. And, and the Lib Dems as a minority party can do that and get away with it. And I think that's, that's, that's the point here. They can do that and get away with it. Whereas, as Conservatives... We're a national party. We have our values and we have our principles, and we do have a consistent <laughs> approach. But we are—we are a broad church. We are a broad church, and we are a coalition of many, many ideas. Mm. Um, so to keep that together is a broad mosque. Or a broad mosque. We're on the voice of Islam. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Or a broad mosque. Indeed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Can, can I just worry? Can I just worry, um, uh, Philip, a little bit? Uh, it, since 2019, we have taken four sensational by-election turnarounds from the Tories. The fifth one just about to happen in uh, 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 in the next week or two. Okay. Now then, if you if you like your ministers like Dominic Robb and Michael Gove. Those are the seats we are preparing for the general, those are the kind of seats we're preparing for general election. And we are in the pinch of taking them, you know, big ones. And, and therefore, you know, if you look at since 2015, each year we've taken hundreds of councils from both parties, each year, okay? Our MPs have doubled since 2015. And, you know, to say that, you know, uh, uh, you know dismiss them, we don't have policies. I just gave you three classical policy changes in the country. We've changed the country in many ways. So we, we, we you know, you sit, in, Philip, you sit in your own little bubble. You need to come outside and actually see what's happening in the other party. And I'm happy to give you some time to talk to me. But incredible as it seems that the Tories are in real trouble in some of the areas where we have been targeting for the last few years. But but we see, uh, Nasser, what, what Philip is saying, uh, what he said earlier, if I understand him correctly, is that you don't have a, a national impact when it comes to general elections. We do, you, we do. Well, you we won do. 15 seats. You've only no, got 15 no, no, seats no, no, this no, no, time now. No, 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 no. You had less than 10 the, the, the election No, no, believe that's a, that yeah. question is based uh, in a twisted way. The, the fact of the matter is, well, I, know, I understand your point, the fact of the matter is, we were up to 64 MPs up to 2010. And we know what happened after that. We came down to eight, okay? Mm. Now, up to that point, 64 represented Labour, North, South, Scotland, everywhere. We still have that base. We had councils everywhere. We've been winning councils everywhere. Initially, what the political parties do is win the council base, which is the smaller part and building block of parliamentary seat. Mm. We have been building this council block. Wherever we have a council block, we win the seat because we've got the base there. That is how we've been taking these Tory seats, because we've got base in all of these seats, that we've got council seats, and we've been working on it. That's how the political uh, structure builds up. So we do have a national structure, and we do have people working all over the ground, 
but they're not visible because they, they, the media doesn't pick up the local council and the local structure. They just take the big national parliamentary headlines. Okay, so, so those who are working in it, they have a very different knowledge of what's actually happening. Okay, so as far as you're concerned, uh, Philip and his party should be worried. Uh, but they, they are extremely worried. Obviously, okay. they're not going to accept it okay. and or say it, <laughs> or right. say it, but they are extremely worried because okay. they are sitting in places like working like Philip uh-huh. and bringing up the seats all over the place right. because they know that those are the seats. Uh, people like Dominic Raab and Michael Gove, the big names, mm-hmm. are really worried because we are in the pinch of taking it. Well, last time they they, they got your uh, they got your uh, leader, didn't they? Uh, with uh, with uh, turf- yes, turfing so out Joe Swinton. Yes, but she made some uh, big. Uh, 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 yes. She got caught in this uh, comment that you made, mm-hmm. and actually she was then targeted by media in, in, in a big way. Okay. And, and and she she paid the price, which is fine yeah. because that's 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 a change, and it's given us Ed Davy good grief. Mm. Ed Davy has reached. Paddy Ashdown's uh, uh, record that in one parliament he has achieved four by-election victories. Okay. That's they, a big good. in one parliament. Yes, there you have it, Philip. Uh, uh, Lib Dems are a force to be reckoned with, so you better get your um, your stumping. Your act together. Get on, get get it, your act together. together. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, right, Philip, uh, um, just, uh, just a, a very quick uh, story that we want to cover regarding uh, Keir Starmer. Apparently, he sparked uh, speculation that he may be uh, going back to uh, undoing Brexit. Uh, is this something that uh, you think uh, carries any weight? Uh, is that a valid I point? I, I don't think that's come out. I don't think that. I think that might be an intuition, but I don't think Simon is actually working towards that or, okay. or even wanting to so, do that. So, so that's Nasser speaking, isn't it? Not yes, that's Nasser speaking. Yeah. Yes. So, what do you think, uh, Philip? So, 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 so the backdrop to this is that. Um, the trade and cooperation agreement that um, that that our government negotiated with the EU is up for a review in 2025. So about a year after our general election. So I guess what Keir Starmer is doing, he's looking at that and uh, putting out, you know, his intended um, uh, way forward with with respect to that. Now, Keir Starmer, he 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 is a Remainer. Um, he he was then in favour of a second referendum, um, and then I think one of his 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 lines was he wanted to make Brexit work, and now he wants to rebuild ties with with the EU. Mm. Um, so you know he 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 his position is is not consistent. His his position um, is is in my opinion uh, not not credible. Uh, and, 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 and the reason for that is that the, will the EU will the EU want to sit with the UK and go through another renegotiation of, of Brexit? I mean, there is no, no interest in the EU to have a bespoke rela- trading relationship with, with any country, you know, the UK included. It sets the wrong precedent for their, for their model. And the commissioners are just not interested in in doing a whole scale reform um, for one particular country. But Philip, that, that, that was but Philip, that was that was actually something that the Conservatives said that would happen after the uh, Brexit. That we would have a, a special arrangement. That the EU would have uh, would be prepared to do a special uh, 
um, uh, agreement with us because of our uh, because of our ties. Are you saying that now that's not the case and that we shouldn't well, be expecting anything further from that? Well, well, we've got the trade and cooperation agreement, but that that obviously we're still outside of the customs union. And, and I don't see as, as, as in any way going back into the customs union or the single market. And, and those are the two, two areas that would align from a trading perspective, you know, would reduce friction from a trading perspective. But certainly, you know, if Keir Starmer or Labour are hoping to, re- he has stated that he will not go back into the customs union at this point or the single market. And therefore, you know, I only foresee this as a as a headline. I'd, he can perhaps look at the Erasmus scheme. He can perhaps look at areas that were not fully addressed at the time of the cooperation agreement, like vaccine policy as well. Um, but I don't foresee realistically any 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 wholesale changes. There simply isn't the appetite with the commissioners in the EU. Uh, for this and that's an important part when it comes to a negotiation but also within the Labour Party you know there are you know people who are very skeptical about about having closer ties with with um, with the EU and obviously in the north of England we saw you know a huge swing towards the Conservatives um, uh, from those Labour historically Labour voting people who wanted to, to leave so I don't see the appetite within the Labour Party, I don't see the appetite within the EU Sorry Philip, I think you were just uh, in circles here you initially said that your party is a broad church of different opinions and you have to manage that well so is Labour Party is a broad church of liberal you know, uh, uh, right, some right to the left and the middle and the centre just like the Conservatives so they're going to have different, just like your party, they want more of Brexit or less of Brexit or negotiation. There's all sorts of opinions. Just because Labour's also got that opinions, um, that doesn't mean they're necessarily uh, aiming for Brexit. That's just scaremongering politics from Conservatives. They are also allowed to have differences of opinions. And there's nothing wrong for the Labour or the Conservatives or the Lib Dems, for that matter, to have negotiations on certain policy issues with the uh, conserv- uh, with the Europe, like the fishing or the farming, because these are problem areas, or the or the immigration, these are problem areas, and they're both to negotiate different things or different cooperation. The king was there in France and highlighted the fact that despite our differences, there are so many things we're working together as two countries. But that has to carry on and will carry on. It doesn't mean that somebody says something, you immediately translate into a negative point for the other party and start bringing in all sorts of presumed things and you become expert on Labour. I mean, you say very little about Conservatives, but you have a lot to say negative about Labour. And that's, that's, that's fair enough, that's politics. Okay. But I think somebody uh, to stop and say, hang on a minute, uh, it, 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 you know, it works both ways. Yes, thank you, Nasser. Um, I'm, I'm, I feel that we have to end it there, but before, if you want to come back uh, on that, uh, Philip, you're welcome to do so, uh, but very, yes, quickly, uh, very quickly, please, yes. Thank, thank, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. I, do, I, do, I mean, clearly, clearly what, what, we're, what we're not going to do, we're not going to have dynamic alignment with the EU, but clearly they are a neighbour, and we're, we, we have negotiated an, an agreement, 
and that will always be renewed and we will always look at areas as i mentioned that perhaps were not addressed initially like right. vaccine policy like uh the erasmus scheme and and there may be other areas fishing is is, is one area as well perhaps mm. that nasser has mentioned that yeah. we could look at again and there will always be round the edges but in terms of going back into the customs union or you know the single yes. market which is the main prize i think for the europeans they want us back in you know that's not really going to happen okay okay but i think they are saying they want it and they are going for it Thank you, and you're going for it as well, uh, Nasser, uh, in this program. I can tell you, let them position. I can see you. We are, going, we are going back to Europe sooner or later. Yes, I can see you really charged up. So that, 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 that conference is doing your power of good, right? Thank you very much for coming on and uh, raising, the, raising the temperature in this discussion. Uh, I wish you all the best, uh, both of you, in, in the future. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Well, so, right, we have to um, move on to uh, the next item in this uh, news review, and it's re- really a tangent that comes uh, out mm. of uh, one aspect of uh, the kind of news that we are uh, observing uh, in the media, and this is in the form of di- uh, disasters, and we're never free from natural disasters, unfortunately. And in the last few weeks, the north part of Africa had been devastated with an unusually strong earthquake in Morocco, and then by floods in Libya, killing many and rendering thousands homeless. Uh, Aid agencies uh, uh, have poured in, and our own humanitarian charity, uh, Humanitifest, has no doubt made its own contribution in giving assistance to the victims. Here to discuss the work of Humanitifest, I hope, uh, is uh, not so much in the wake of these disasters, but uh, its general efforts, uh, um, we have the pleasure uh, of the company of its UK chairman, Dr. Aziz Hafiz. Now, my light, uh, worryingly, is orange. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we so, go. There okay, we go. it's yeah. gone red now. All right. <laughs> I, I hope you were able to uh, um, hear my discussion, uh, Dr. Hafiz. Thank you very much for coming on. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. God Almighty be upon you and your team. Thank you very much for having me on. Yes, I could, I could hear you loud and clear. Okay. Right, so we, we know that uh, Hematifest has been established some 30 years ago. Uh, what do you think are its main achievements? So first of all, I appreciate you having, having me on and to be able to share some of our work. So yes, Hematifest has, uh, has been established now just over 25 years. And we would say our main achievements are focused on our two areas of work, in the disaster response and development. And within both areas, I think I can summarize uh, our key achievement in that we have been able to, we believe, maximize our resources by using strong local efforts. Uh, the, the UN produced the Grand Barkin discussions in 2017-18, I believe, where there was a huge effort to push on localization, where humanitarian aid uh, had become a, a forte of a few, uh, primarily uh, in uh, Western countries. And there was a sense that there was local knowledge and local engagement was not being utilized. And as a result, it was not necessarily through bad intention, but what we are going to do for you rather than what you actually need. So I think I would summarize that our key achievements have been the strengthening of local networks, the strengthening of local responsible trained uh, responders within all our operations across some 60 countries in the world. Mm-hmm. 
60. You're the chairman of, uh, of UK um, Humanity First. What are your main activities? So, as Humanity First UK, Humanity First has what we call four uh, donor countries, the United Kingdom, Canada, USA, and Germany. And I, as you said, serve as chair of the UK branch. And our responsibilities, other than disaster response across the world, are to support 11 countries in their ongoing disaster and development work. They're mainly in West Africa, East Africa, North Africa, and the Middle East. And again, the two areas of work, supporting development across food, agriculture, health, water sanitation, and disaster response. And in, from a disaster response point of view, sudden onset disasters providing urgent, immediate humanitarian response, as well as then uh, the mid to long term uh, plans in that response. Uh, Dr. Aziz, um, uh, a pleasure having you on the show. It's uh, Saf Amdi here. I um, had the, uh, I guess, the honor of actually joining one of the humanitarian aid efforts in the very early days. Um, I think it's coming up to nearly 20 years when uh, we went to Indonesia, um, you know, to give relief on the tsunami front. And uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more about what you said about the UN, uh, UN's impact about having local um, local teams, because that was essentially exactly what what, what happened with us, uh, be it you know, albeit almost by chance, because uh, we had um, obviously some infrastructure already there um, through the uh, you know through the community um, through the Ahmadiyya community that had the availability of people. Um, is it something that you think that the UN has uh, almost taken? <laughs> I think we we were almost at the forefront of this. Um, you know, having the local knowledge, having the local people already in place. Uh, is that something that you've been discussing with them and uh, giving them some uh, some some ideas, or you know, giving them some assistance with um, with with coming up with this strategy? No, absolutely. I mean, we're, like many NGOs, are engaged with regular roundtable discussions, both here in the UK with the FCDO and at the UN level in Geneva. So at their annual humanitarian network partnership events, this is something that we are able to highlight uh, because it's a key, uh, it's, a, it's a key demand of, of humanitarians these days and for donors to ensure that provision is locally led. Uh, too often, sadly, we've seen across the sector where airports have been clogged with aid mm. uh, in the sense of must do something now. There is almost a, a, an emotional response rather than a strategic needs-led response. Uh, for example, we'll take the current earthquake, sadly, in Morocco. Mm. Sadly taken 3,000 lives. Uh, now you will see that the authorities there have, have had a good, strong response there. Uh, their, their disaster response networks are, are very strong. They've been able to provide a huge amount of aid and response, particularly in the High Atlas Mountains, uh, where we are supporting with local partners on the ground because it's a locally-led response. And not every response necessarily requires uh, foreign intervention. And I think that is the key across all disasters. You mentioned Indonesia and the tsunami uh, in 2004. Uh, I, I remember it acutely well, and exactly as you said, uh, we have strong responders on the ground, and our Indonesian Humanity First uh, uh, is actually one of our one of our exemplary organisations where their disaster response network is, is very very strong. Uh, uh, a strong women-led disaster response. 
team uh, that that really helps reach uh, areas uh, that would be very difficult to reach otherwise. Mm. Uh, and in Indonesia, we hear of the major earthquakes, uh, the, the 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 sevens and the six pluses. However, literally a week does a week does not go by when there is not an earthquake in Indonesia. Yeah. So it is, it is part and parcel sadly, of the routine now uh, of them living around the Ring of Fire, where our teams are involved regularly. So we, we hear the major disasters in the, in the press and the media, but it's, it's an ongoing operation and, and very strongly locally led. Dr. Aziz, I was intrigued to find that uh, you're very active in the Middle East. What kind of uh, efforts are you engaged in, in delivering uh, or alleviating human suffering there? So Humanity First is formally registered in, in Tunisia, in Jordan, in the occupied territories of Palestine uh, in, in the Middle East. And our work, as you can probably imagine, is, is, is mainly disaster response. Uh, many countries, including the occupied territories, are, are in, in a permanent disaster, sadly, a permanent humanitarian disaster. Uh, and our role as a humanitarian agency, not as a political agency, is to ensure that that humanitarian impact is alleviated. And in West Bank and Gaza, our efforts are primarily at water desalination. As, as many of your listeners will know, more than 97% of the water in Gaza is, is just unpalatable. Uh, therefore, water filtration is a key. Uh, and, and we have pioneered work in reverse osmosis water filtration systems with our partners in ERA, the US-based charity, where we're reaching thousands of schools, institutions, providing them desalination units that allow them to have clean water, not only for schools and hospitals, but for the general public as well. And, and that saves a significant amount of financial overlay that households have to pay out to buy water, uh, because sadly the municipal water is, is just not fit to drink and full of, full of disease, sadly. Mm, very tough. Uh, and uh, what about back home here in the UK? What's uh, happening, what's developing with uh, your food bank? So, as you said, sadly, uh, even with the current economic crises that we're all feeling, in the UK we are sadly seeing a huge increase in food security issues with countless families. Uh, so there's more than 2,000 independent food banks across the UK. And Humanity First, as you said, has a food bank in Murfield, West Yorkshire, and one in Walsall in the West Midlands. And between them, there's some six to 700 families, unfortunately, I would say, every month uh, that we support with weekly food, bank, uh, weekly food parcels. And we've seen, again, over the last three years since, since they've been in operation, uh, a huge variety of, uh, of clients. Uh, there's a misunderstanding sometimes about the people that require food banks, but it's through all walks of life, sadly. All it takes is a slight imbalance in your in your financial uh, um, status, and the question arises, do I pay the bill, or do I put food on the table? Uh, and sadly, in many cases, it's food that goes amiss. Uh, so the work is, is, is huge, and, and sadly, sadly increasing. Dr. Yeah. Aziz, I think, um I guess to because these these are always difficult discussions, um, you know, when when you talk about things. But I guess on on the more positive side, how have you seen people's generosity um, sort of build up over the last few years uh, towards these events? We we're all going through cost of living crisis. 
um, events. But at the same time, we see people's generosity also um, uh, being, you know, getting uh, getting a little bit better. Um, is that something that Humanity First has also seen over the last few years? You raise a very, very pertinent point. And despite the challenges, it's a testament to the human race. And it's a testament to the good people of our great nation here in the UK that people's generosity uh, is, is never ceases to amaze us. Uh, the generosity is still there. The cost of living crisis, people do dig deep. Uh, there's no denying it has impacted. Uh, there's no denying it has impacted. However, uh, the large majority of people, uh, no matter what that means, will always dig deep, both for local concerns here in the UK, as well as wider concerns across the world. And it's also people's time, right, as well. I think uh, people are sort of tend to be giving up more of their time to, for, for charitable causes. And I, I know also your team is a very, uh, um, you know, by the grace of God, they're, they're very, very hard workers. And uh, we see them on the ground uh, uh, everywhere all the time. Um, so it's a testament to them as well. So I think also the time aspect of people giving up their time is, is also you're, one. You're- you're absolutely, absolutely right. Time is time is crucial, and Humanity First, as, as you as you've mentioned, is uh, a, an NGO formed and created by the MD Muslim community. Even though it has members from across the wider world, and for those MD Muslims serving in Humanity First, is is how they give their time. It's purely to fulfil their their obligations to their faith, which is primarily to recognise their Creator and then to serve His creation. So it's in fulfillment of that second aspect of serving their creation that people give time and vast amounts of time and funds. Our executive senior management uh, team all comes from a professional uh, charitable background with uh, over 20, 30 years of experience uh, within the sector. And we as an organization save in the last accounting years some £600,000 per year in professional salaries that we would otherwise pay to our senior management that all elect not to take a salary for this work. Yes, uh, and leading on from that, we've only got a few minutes left, so I do want to get this in. Um, The majority of your workers are are volunteers. Very little, I mean, this is the distinguishing feature of uh, of Humanitas, very little is expended on administrative uh, expenses. So if people want to support Humanitas, how can they do it? Uh, is there a website? Is there a means of uh, donating funds to this uh, charity? So you can find out more and donate on our website, which is www.hfuk.org. So www.hfuk.org. Mm-hmm. Our projects and also be able to donate. And what particular area are you looking for uh, assistance on? Is there any particular product that you have uh, currently embraced that you want people to support? So at the moment, as every NGO will say, we like efforts across the board. I mean, we are trying to build a multi-million dollar hospital in Ivory Coast, helping vast swathes of of poor and under-resourced people, our disaster response activities across the world, and our development work both in the UK and abroad. So I would say across all three of our major areas, uh, we are keen uh, for people to help in any way they can, large or small. Mm-hmm. And how do you see the future? Do you see Humanity uh, First expanding even more? In an ideal world, I would hope that Humanity First ceases to exist 
purely mm. because the humanitarian need ceases. But sadly, that's not going to happen. And unfortunately, our work is only expanding as the need seems to be expanding day on day, year on year, sadly. Well, that was very uh, insightful. Thank you very much for coming Thank on. Thank you, Dr. Aziz. Yeah, yes. that was... Uh, uh, Yes, incredibly you. important again as per normal always good to mm. good to have someone from from the organization so you've achieved something you've achieved something dr fees both me and uh, uh saf are enthused by what you've said um and if somebody wants to uh, actually join in uh, the effort that you're making how can they do that is it still uh, accessing uh, through the website it is or you can email us on volunteer at uk.humanityfirst.org volunteer at uk.humanityfirst.org uh, we'll be more than happy to speak to you thank you very much and I uh, wish you all the best uh, wonderful work you're doing I wish you all thank the success you. in the future thank you very much for coming on bless you both nice to speak to you thank you right uh, Seth we've got a minute or so so we have to now fill in this fill time in the gap. <laughs> <laughs> well I think we've got we've got um, uh uh, as a remedy straight after the uh, yeah. straight after the break uh, we'll, we won't have any uh won't have any gaps in discussions there. No, I'm <laughs> sure not. He's uh, very he's always, well prepared. He's very well prepared. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think on the whole, I mean, it was a really good discussion. I think we had a good discussion with both uh, Nasir and uh, Philip uh, mm-hmm. this morning. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, always, I think, al- always important to get people from uh, uh, organizations like Humanity First onto the uh, onto the show mm. because... Uh, Really, to sort of detail detail all of the work that they've been doing, it's, yes, uh, it's incredibly said, important. Yes, as I've said, that we've had interesting discussion, <laughs> lively discussion, and if you missed it, well, you can listen to the podcast, can't they? Absolutely. Hmm? Okay, Absolutely. Good. All right. So uh, there will be a, a short interlude after that. We'll have the eleven o'clock news, and after that, you can join us again, and we'll be discussing the subject of decline of Christianity. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Weekend World Show uh, with me, Walid Ahmed and Saf Ahmadi. The time is 2 minutes past 11. It's Sunday, the 24th of September, 2023. We are in that portion of the show, which is entitled Behind the Headlines. So let's have that jingle and then move on to hearing a verse of the Holy Quran. Just been called for Donald The decision Trump. taken to join the common market has been the reversed. should call a general election. Order. Weekend world. Questions to the Prime Minister. Behind the headlines. قل يا أهل الكتاب لستم على شيء حتى تقيموا التوراة والإنجيل وما أنزل إليكم من ربكم وَلَيَزِيدَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُمْ مَّا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ طُغْيَانًا وَكُفْرًا فَلَا تَأْسَ عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ And the translation of this particular verse has been recited is Say, O people of the book, you stand on nothing until you observe the Torah and the Gospel and what has now been sent down to you from your Lord. And surely what has been sent down to you from thy Lord will increase many of them in rebellion 
and disbelief, so grieve not for the disbelieving people. Now, this particular uh, behind the headlines topic is concerning a report uh, that was published in the Times uh, following a survey that it conducted, which said that Britain is no longer a Christian country, and uh, it reported that based uh, on the survey uh, of uh, opinions derived from frontline clergy. The survey was carried out among uh, Anglican clergy and the first survey of the Church of England clerics conducted in almost a decade. The response of the clergy is for significant changes in church doctrine on issues such as sex, sexuality, marriage and the role of women to bring it in greater line with public opinion and thereby more appealing to the populace. So that's what we have. Um, uh, and uh, I'm pleased to note that uh, Mr. Azhar Ahmadi is with us to uh, discuss this particular issue. Uh, thank, uh, Asalaamu Alaikum and thank you very much for coming on to the show, Azhar. Um, thank you very much for having me. Right, it appears, you know, from this survey and the report that the Times published, that as far as the clergy is concerned, uh, the, uh, the drop in Christian adherence is because it is out of step with current trends. Um, so they were talking about sexuality uh, and uh, what the norms are accepted uh, these days. Do you, do you think that is right? I don't uh, agree with that, actually. I think uh, Christianity is uh, because they are following, so trying Follow current trends. Um, um, the areas which you have mentioned, which is uh, sexuality, which is uh, is now, and homosexuality. Hmm. The, the role of women as well. Yeah. Uh, yes, and the of uh, prophets uh, when they come into this world is not to follow the trend and to correct the people and to give them new moral guidance mm. so, you know we cannot have uh, it be that people who are not uh, engaged in uh, religious worship or religious practice just generally that they must be giving the lead to Christian churches priests surely it is the other way around so I'm afraid that the the f- the fundamental problem is that the as i see it christian church has lost touch is other scriptures the biblical scriptures which we uh, consider holy are, uh, are very strict on matters of sexuality like gay marriages and homosex- homosexual relations so i think the have to have to realize to give the lead to the people and if the people go wrong they have to follow the example of prophets after all they represent the prophets from their own uh, free will you know they don't represent themselves the Bible and they represent the prophets Bible and the prophets both very clear on sexual matters. The institution of marriage is very sacrosanct, always has been in Christianity. 
we find that people are cohabiting and uh, what we call living in sin. Well, some people call it living in sin, some people call it cohabiting. So I'm afraid my opinion is that they have to take a stand. Mm-hmm. So you saying, you saying, if, if I can just uh, summarize, is that religion prophets should uh, should take the lead uh, and the society should follow rather than the other way around. So what, what what here is the solution? Because what the church feels is that if when they do take the lead, when they do assert uh, what is mentioned in in the Christian what in the Christian scriptures, then uh, they're driving away uh, the uh, the the masses. So actually, there is something before that, which is why why has the uh, Christian church? Uh, favor with the people uh, so when it uh, pronounces on matters which are controversial like uh, uh, gay marriages or homosexual relations so you know the people say well we're not Christians anyway so why should we follow you this is the problem now the reason why lost touch uh, with the church is because of the onslaught scientific dis- discoveries or in the face of scientific discoveries uh, you know which cannot be denied nationalism the Christian church alongside actually other religions as well cannot uh, cannot withstand the onslaught and people mm. will be you know on television we see people like uh, comedians making fun of their rejection of the theory of evolution for example the, you know people some Jesus's ascension to heaven so all these kind of things national religions. This is why the uh, thing is that as we find today, we find it, uh, you know, it mm. and, you know, my opinion as well, that it has moved away from the true teachings of Christ and follows uh, doctrines so that, uh, you know, we have concepts like the Trinity, three in one, one in three, sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But, but, as a, but as a, I mean, you know, the the, the I mean, you're right. I think that there are, there's certain aspects. Sorry, that's sorry. That's 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 a, uh, there, there's certain aspects of um, of Christianity, like you said, the uh, the non scientific uh, parts of it. The you know, like you said, the the Trinity. You know, the ascension to heaven, mm-hmm. um, which is all understandable, but. On the flip no, side, we're not saying, sorry, which is not understandable. No, no. I mean, uh, understandable. And, and because understand- it's not understandable, that's uh, what's understandable. Exactly, it's understandable in the sense that people are moving away from the mm. religion because those uh, those elements don't, you know, they just don't uh, no. compute yeah. and they don't yeah. register. Yeah. Uh, yet, on the other hand, we see that, for example, Islam is growing at a much uh, larger rate. There are more conversions towards it. Um, and uh, parts of, and obviously, you know, we, we uh, th- there are certain things that uh, differ. People differ on, on, uh, on, on certain aspects, but even parts of Islam um, have had, or, or, or the 
the way that people have viewed it or the people the way that people have uh, described it from especially other clerics um you know for example uh the holy prophet coming down on a horse and sallallahu uh, alaihi you know coming down on a horse and things. there are also aspects of it which don't make sense but islam is actually growing uh uh, at a faster pace. Why do you think there's a disconnect between Christianity and Islam? Why, why, why is it that one is growing and the other is not for the same reasons, like you said, the scientific reasons? So I'm not sure I have the uh, absolute answer. Uh, in the Western world, scientific knowledge and scientific research advanced than in other parts of the world. In uh, parts of uh, the Muslim world, for example, in Saudi Arabia or countries like Pakistan. You know, in Pakistan, for example, there's a very high rate of literacy. I, mean, I was looking at the illiteracy. I was looking at the figures, maybe about 60 or even 70% of the whole population are illiterate. So there isn't, whereas in the West, the, as you know, the literacy rates are very high. 90 percent uh, if not, uh, you know, over 95, 98%. So that could be one reason, but I'm not sure I have this. Now, as far as the Muslim world is concerned, their own problems, they are different to uh, the West. Uh, you know, for example, they have uh, radicalization and extremism and sectarianism. Uh, moving away from that, I think one of the reasons was there is far more education in the scientific fields hmm. uh, so you know the literacy rates you know in poor countries like Morocco and Sudan and Mali you know they don't even have enough there's a lot of starvation and uh, f uh, food so obviously education takes a back, uh, uh, step in, in that respect think that that is only one of the answers there could mm. be others and I, I guess even you know like we live like you said the west is probably a little bit more democratic the ideas ideas can be queried and questioned a little bit more yes, that's, um, that's and uh, we you know we, we, we push but do you think I mean do you think that kind of onslaught I, mean, I guess the word here is onslaught but I think the the uh, you know the push uh, towards secularism, it kind of dims the attraction of religion. You, you're getting a lot more youth sort of growing up that don't want to be bound, bounded by um, rules and uh, what have you. That um, has made it easier for them to actually just uh, just look elsewhere. I guess. I think this is true what you are saying, uh, but I would just like to caution: it is not just secularism. We support secularism. You know, we mm. Muslims. For example, in the political field, we do not like interference in, in uh, political matters. Uh, for example, you know, I think a very good example of a secular country is Britain, mm. where uh, you have, you know, members of parliament, they decide on matters of state, uh, irrespective of religious background you're from, and, you know, they don't quote the scriptures mm. when they're deciding political matters. For example, you know, there's a debate on interest rates, on how the in, in, uh, inflation can be controlled, whether the HS2 should be expanded uh, according to its original plan, how do we tackle NHS, how do we tackle uh, and so things. 
are non of non-religious the Muslim world would follow the example so I don't think secularism is a problem it could be that things like materialism you know mm, when uh, yes people become very affluent try pursuing uh, uh, material goals you might have heard of many billionaires in America who are uh, competing with each other as to who has got the biggest uh, billions uh, in wealth and uh, I think a certain individual may have more than 200 billion mm. name or something in shares and so corporate wealth so materialism will drive you away from godliness values you think the only purpose of life I think this is true in the West is to accumulate West to have a bigger car a bigger house mm disadvantages is that you don't care for the poor people so in Europe the neighbor of Africa you know the two are very close to each other you want to get the Mediterranean divide and yet the economic divide is huge uh, I don't think Europe is doing enough to feed the very you know people are starving there's food uh, scarcity Africa is in the affluent uh, West, you know, the EU is spending, Britain is spending, French, France, Russia, all these countries are spending so much on defense, they spend some money on uh, the poor people of Africa and develop some local industries so that people can, uh, so all these things, I think of um, man moving away from God. And we certainly have seen this in the West. I mean, I think any of my neighbors are interested in going to church on a Sunday or anything like that. Few, but you know, I meet them, I know them. Uh, so I think it is not just secular. Secularism is a good thing in political matters. It's that you don't, you know, there's no interference of politics in religion and religion in politics. You know, um, materialism is concerned. Mm, I was just going to ask, sir. You know, the ch the, in this survey, the church, uh, it has also been mentioned that if uh, the church's efforts uh, are not successful in trying to bring people back now, then the decline in attendance uh, to churches and adherence to uh, Christianity may ultimately lead to the extinction of Christianity. Do you think that is a realistic prospect? And what is the under, if that is so, what is the underlying reason for that? Like I said, the underlying reason is that Christianity, Christianity we have in, on offer today, the true teachings of Christ. What we have is an irrational religion. And we mentioned, you know, what can a Christian say to somebody who has lost his faith or and we're trying to attract him or believe in Christ if you believe in him you can save you can be saved salvation salvation is as the Holy Quran has described through remorse and resolve not to commit hmm. uh, sin again so I'm afraid Christianity as far as I can see Little to offer to the rational man, to the scientific man, 
But I, I was really drawing you. I was. I was really drawing you to what you said to me before we, we were, when we were discussing before the program, about what the founder of the of the Hamdi Muslim community had predicted. Can you can you relate that again for our, our the listeners? Christianity. Yes. Reading one of Brother book. It is called Review of Christianity. There he states that. Uh, Christianity actually leads to atheism. Your mind, the scientific mind, past kind of things the church says, not what the Bible says. Although I don't understand why not reinterpret the Bible where it says the world was created in six days. Uh, well, why can't it be six periods? Just like the Holy Quran says that days of, of God are much more even than 50,000 years or even much more. You have to reinterpret the Bible and uh, um, have a more kind of uh, national and scientific basis for it to present Christianity as understandable. And I'm afraid if you stick concepts like Trinity, inheritance of sin, the uh, sin of Adam and Eve concepts and that salvation is only to believe in Jesus Christ and that is enough. That uh, this is ascension that he's, you know, even Muslims believe, the, most of the Christian world that believes that Jesus is sitting up yeah. somewhere, right hand of God, mm. this is totally irrational, it cannot mm. be accepted, but you know, the, the, the universe, as you know, is 12.5 billion light years wide or apart. Mm-hmm. An expanding universe. And the concept that at the edge of this universe you will find God throne, exactly what the, some Christians believe on this, exactly what he was telling me in Gravesden when he held, held our complete store yesterday. There is a throne on which God sits. Um, I asked him whether he's sitting on his, uh, and I said, on yeah. the chair, I said, on my backside. <laughs> so I said, is God sitting on his back? So, I mean, <laughs> like any sense. This, this is what they believe, is that God is sitting on that. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your insight today. It's um, uh, always good to have you on the show. It's um, um, yeah, and it's I, I guess it's a, one of those sort of troubling trends that I guess we see that mm. people are moving away from faith in certain aspects, um, especially in the West. And uh, hopefully, we pray that uh, I guess everyone can see the light at some point and see yeah. that see the positives of what religion actually brings uh, into one's. Uh, into one's life and into one's uh, makeup. Thanks very much, Azar. Thank you for coming on and enlightening us with your with your uh, counsel. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, it is it is worrying, isn't it? I think that what the danger is uh, people having being disenchanted with Christianity, abandoning religion altogether, mm. because religion does have 
uh, a role to play. It does. A, a it does. definite role to play. And I think, I mean, a lot... Without it, I mean, life is not complete. Correct. And I mm. think there are sort of cultural issues and societal issues. Of course, you know, there's always a difference of view and the way culture is... Mu- uh, sorry, the way society is moving mm. right now. It's, it is... It is um, there's not always a connect mm. right with uh, w- with faith um and uh, but i think it was an interesting point i think there is some you know there's also the science it doesn't unfortunately if the science doesn't hold up it's easy to sort of dismiss mm. it um uh, and uh, you know it just needs uh, yeah it, it it's i i i agree that it's a troubling trend that yeah. people move away from it because i think faith does give you a certain internal peace um, which, which we sort of seem to be lacking. And we, we seem to be, I think, as Asab is right on that front, I think we're forcing ourselves on a materialistic goal yeah. instead. And I think that what you mentioned about the founder of the community, I think there was another uh, uh, extract uh, concerning what uh, the founder of the community had predicted. And it was really pointing to what, uh, as I was saying, regarding the perceived irrationality of uh, yes. Christian doctrine uh, and the fact that uh, Jesus Christ would sometime, would at one time descend from the heavens and uh, in his book The Narrative of Two Martyrdoms uh, he, the founder of the community more than 150, well, around 120 years ago uh, said that 300 years would not pass mm. when uh, people would give up yes. disbelief. Yes, yes. And uh, no descent of a Jesus will uh, be observed, and that's when they will uh, abandon uh, Christianity, faith, yeah, abandon yeah, faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so it isn't something that was not foreseen. It was something Correct. that, with um, his uh, insight, the founders of the community had predicted. Mm. Uh, but I think that uh, humanity will be. Or the British public will be, um, I think, worse um, off, worse off if, yeah, they, if they abandon yeah. religion. Anyways, uh, moving on, uh, we have to look at uh, another topic uh, concerning uh, behind the headlines. This is uh, regarding the uh, scourge of an interest-based system. Uh, but before we uh, delve into this particular topic, let's hear what the Quran has to say about interest. يا ايها الذين امنوا لا تاكلوا الربا اضعافا مضاعفه واتقوا الله لعلكم تفلحون This is from chapter 3 verse 31 and the translation is say O ye who believe devour not interest involving multiple additions and fear Allah that you may prosper now the Bank of uh, England decision uh, to hold interest rates at five and a quarter percent came as a relief to many mortgage holders and borrowers who had seen the cost of borrowing rise since uh, December two thousand and one. From no, so it should be two thousand and eleven. Two thousand and twenty-one. Two thousand and eleven. Twenty-one. I think it's two thousand and twenty-one. Okay. So it was since two thousand and twenty-one. Uh, from uh, a quarter of a cent mm. to the higher since uh, 2008 before the crash and after 14 successive hikes. Yeah. Um, so according to the Times, uh, the decision this time to hold appears to have been taken since data received 
or reviewed by the Monetary Policy Committee, MPC, indicates that growth, and I quote, growth has reversed while unemployment has accelerated faster than predicted, uh, suggesting that aggressive tightening is feeding through into the real economy. Uh, the committee was split between those who, like its chairman, uh, Andrew Bailey, and four others who thought that the inflation was going down fast enough to warrant a stop uh, in uh, increasing rates, and the remaining four who felt differently. They contended, these remaining four, that lower inflation figures are driven by one of factors, uh, such as a drop in airfares and that private sector wage growth had stood at 8.1% in July. So they were, that was their reading. Anyway, um, we have, i um, pleased to say, Mansu Manan on the line. Uh, he is uh, a banker with um, Islamic uh, banking. Uh, thank you. Assalamualaikum and thank you very much for coming on to the show, uh, Mansoor. Right, let's let's start with the basic now. How and why does the setting of Bank England Bank of England interest rates affect the lives of so many people? Um, <clears throat> yeah, thank you uh, for putting me on this session. Uh, <clears throat> the Bank of England, you are probably aware, is the land of last last resort. But it is the banker to the bankers. So the banks, uh, commercial banks as well as uh, investment banks, when they have large funds, they have to place them with the Bank of England, some in a form of reserve. Otherwise, they they put them there for liquidity purposes. Okay, and the Bank of England pays interest on those uh, reserves, right? And the changes in the interest rate will affect the amount of money uh, that the banks will get. <clears throat> the other thing is that when the banks are short of funds for liquidity purposes, they have to go to the Bank of England to borrow funds and the bank will then therefore charge interest on, on those loans to them. And that way, the attitude of the banks in the amount of interest they will pass on to consumers and businesses. So if the bank is Bank of England change the rate of interest, the uh, commercial banks uh, in turn will change their rate of interest that they charge uh, to their customers. So okay. that's how it affects the uh, economy. All right. What about the economy in general? What does monetary policy uh, impact? How does that impact on the uh, economy in, in, in the country? Okay. The bankers, you're probably aware, right? Uh, all the central banks act independent of the government. Well, at least they try to. Uh, they act independent of the politicians. Um, and the main mandate is twofold. One is to have a low level, level of in, uh, inflation. And the second is to maintain sufficient growth so that the economy keeps kicking on. And, the, uh, and there is a high level employment and these goals that they have to achieve right conflict with each other at times but basically this is what their mandate is and for some time they actually achieve that they achieve the low level of uh, low in, at, uh, in a low interest rate environment they manage to achieve uh, high growth uh, high level of employment and also low inflation um, but um, that that is a in policy and that is why 
they are keen to bring inflation down because this is one of the goals that they thought which had been set around the world now is that inflation should not exceed more than 2% mm. okay uh, that the level of inflation will sustain uh, adequate well uh, growth as well as uh, have a high level of unemployment okay now islam of course forbids the giving and taking of interest what harm do you identify or can you uh, can you identify of living in a system that employs interest uh passive spending <laughs> <laughs> say that again i will say greed and excessive spending ah okay especially is one cause of uh, of uh, inflation as uh-huh. you know banks make money make money from uh, from lending mm. if people borrow right, they will not make money uh, so in an interest rate environment uh, or interest economy in, uh, economy based on interest the banks and they have to uh, get consumers right and businesses borrow from them otherwise you know they they're not be making so uh and one of the ways they do that is to entice people by saying okay you don't have to pay us back right away i mean you know all these credit card companies many of them say you just pay us a minimum amount per month and uh, you keep uh, borrowing from us and what that does is that it leads to excessive amount of interest being accumulated i'm given that the uh, credit cards normally charge between 25 to 30% interest so they uh, many people have in the past gone into bankruptcy mm. and found it very difficult to repay and uh, you know that 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 is pretty harmful to the uh, to the to the public in general so I, i i think going back on that question as well i mean we we know that we have an interest based system and now even islamic countries are having to sort of uh, navigate themselves within an interest based system what would be the alternative what would be a better alternative to what what is currently in play and how uh because you're right this does create greed right we the the whole uh, aspect of this interest based system is 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 based on a material concept um but what would be a better form of uh governing money uh if i put it so bluntly okay i am just to put in the context right in the uk public has borrowed 1.8 trillion uh, pound in the us uh, they have borrowed some like 17 trillion pound mm. so i mean this is just i mean the average debt in uk is around 65000 in the us is over 100000 so i mean you can imagine the amount of debt that is in the economy um okay in terms of uh moving away from the uh, economy and people you mentioned them uh, you know the muslim countries i mean muslim countries have been doing over the years uh, a significant amount of effort to move away from interest malaysia is a prime examples of this their economy they have uh, 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 <coughs> formulated regulations uh, particular regulations to ensure that islamic finance flourish in those countries right most of the middle east countries have done that same thing so that uh, they're giving pre- uh, precedence to uh, institutions that are employing islamic techniques both in their border ending um and uh, pakistan also has taken this up indonesia is also well advanced on that 
I mean, the Islamic industry has grown to something like uh, from few hundred million to about a four, around about four trillion now. Mm. And it's pretty fast. And it's one of the fastest growing sectors in the finance industry. Most of uh, the countries have done that. But it is, a, it is I mean, they, because, uh, you see, a lot also depends upon the people who are employed by the financial institution. They are all trained on interest-based economies. And when they move into Islamic finance, they have to. There is a learning curve, and that takes time for those institutions to actually get to a stage where they will be employing or they will start employing proper Islamic techniques in both the lending and borrowing. And then, so what type? Of, I mean, I get, in terms of products, then um, what what are the kind of products that would make sense that work? For example. For for a borrower or a saver, I mean, you, you, we are inextricably sort of linked to this interest-based system and inflation-based system. So for myself, if I'm sort of having to sit there struggling with the cost of everything going up and I have, you know, uh, a little bit of money in the bank uh, to make sure that my spending power r- remains the same, is that, are, are there... Are there are there products that um, that you can sort of utilize within an Islamic uh, system that, that, that would still work, uh, I would say? Yes. Yeah. Let me just explain uh, very carefully. <clears throat> when you um, invest or put your money into a saving account, uh, which is developed by, by, which is offered by an Islamic institution, okay, what happens is that the banks uh, have what they call a Mudarba fund, Mudarba is a pooling of funds whereby the bank acts as a manager of the funds and they can employ those funds on an Islamic basis and, and give to businesses. Okay, The profit they earn on those businesses is then shared with the investors. Right. And that is the basis. So you can, uh, uh, if you've got savings, you can use your money, put them into Islamic uh, funds which are mudarba based or in fact there are other techniques as well but the main main uh, base is mudarba which is you know uh, the bank acting as an agent to employ your funds um, and earn it and earn profit on it mm-hmm. what about if there's a loss <laughs> sorry what if there is a loss if there's a loss the mudarib okay the uh, the persons who give capital they call rubble mal they have to be off. Mm-hmm. So, now, in an Islamic system, if you invest, uh, if you save, or if you give money to an institution to save, then you can also lose it all. You can. I mean, it has happened in one or two institutions in the Middle East, uh, but very rare. The what has happened uh, mostly is that the uh, shareholders have come in and they have bailed out the the depositors. So the shareholders have taken the brunt of the of the losses if they have made losses on such kind of uh, uh, funds. Mostly banks uh, on savings uh, uh, and current accounts. What the banks do is that they put them into very low rate uh, trade finance uh, facilities and they manage them pretty well. And they haven't been. I mean, overall, I will say over the last 40 years, there hasn't been any major disaster in in that respect. Right of banks not being able to repay their, their savers in the UK. By the way, just to 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 clarify, in the UK, right, 
banks by law are required to repay the depositors and that's the law farming mm. mm. and when we set up the first Islamic bank here in the UK first Islamic bank sorry in the UK this was the issue that was faced so how do you overcome that and the way we overcame that was we agreed with the regulators that the banks will be obliged under the regulations to make good any losses but a Muslim if he realizes that the bank had made a loss on their investment right can say to the bank I will not take this uh, uh, top up but I I will I will I will pay the loss hmm. and that's the way that uh, we have overcome this issue in the UK oh, right. in, in now in the system that you're suggesting uh, the quantum of profit is that fixed for an investor no the as I said if you put into if you put into a mudarba fund I mean there are so many different types of funds but the basic fund used for saving accounts is the mudarba fund and what happens in the mudarba fund is that you agree with the the, uh, the manager of the funds i.e. the banker how much of the profit is to be taken for lesser expenses how much is to be uh, kept aside the reserve, and the rest is and distributed to 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 the investors. And it is that technique that is used, or the calculation that is done to come up with a rate payable to the investor. So, if you look at the Islamic banks, they will never say that we agree to give you a certain in, uh, profit rate. They always say we give you a target rate. This is what we target to achieve on the investments that we will be making with your funds. But they never get that you will get. Right. And is that target rate normally uh, more than uh, the interest uh, rate you would get at uh, a conventional bank? Target rate. This will be target to achieve on the investment. Sorry. Hello? Oh, yeah, Sorry. I can, I, we can hear you. Just about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Sorry, I, I, I had this uh, at the back. Uh, let me just close this. Yes. Uh, yeah, so close it. <laughs> Whatever it is. Otherwise, you're going to have not. Uh, um, okay, fine. All right. <clears throat> no, the thing is that. Uh, uh, sorry, can just repeat the question. I'm asking that um, is that is the target rate that is set uh, when you invest with uh, uh, this particular product? Is that yes. normally higher than the interest rate you would get in a conventional bank? Not necessarily. Ah. Could be higher. Could be lower. Um, I mean the uh, Al Riyan Bank, which is the uh, the major commercial bank, okay, Islamic bank. They have been being able to pay higher rates so that you will get on your other normal saving accounts in the other banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, will achieve that over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, many other institutions in the UK have tended higher because they've been able to achieve profits. And what about borrowing? Tell us about borrowing and mortgages, because one of the one of the uh, what is it concerns that people have had um, is with the bank of base bank of England base rate increasing and their mortgage payments going out of uh, well out of orbit really some would say. Um, yes. Now, how would uh, a mortgage system with uh, in an Islamic bank work? Okay, the in Islamic, uh, what the, the banks, uh, Islamic banks do, 
uh, is that they actually do a what they call a musharaka, which is a partnership uh, with uh, a, a party that wants to, let's say, uh, the person that wants to buy a property. Let's um, say the person has 30% property value as a deposit. So the bank will uh, go into musharaka agreement. They will, uh, the bank will fund the 70%, the person will put in 30%. Okay. The 70% the bank paid and owns 70% of the property, they will charge uh, for that part of the property. Okay. And the person will have, uh, um, and the customer will have the right to buy up shares of, uh, of the bank shares of the property over a period of time. It could be over, you know, 10 years, years whatever period you agree okay it's normally already fixed is the rent fixed the rent may be fixed right or the rent uh be uh, based on an underlying uh, base rate uh base of what i mean it could be uh there could be a basis set for the uh, uh rental mm. charge bank what the bank does is that and one, one thing very important to Islamic finance is that you have to clearly define the basis upon which the rent will be calculated. So if the bank uh, has agreed with you that the, the rent will be, uh, they will take it on, let's say, the inflation in the country, right, and it will be based on the CPI rate, then the basis for calculating the rental charge. Or if it is based on, uh, or if they agree that they will charge uh, the average rental um, uh, index of what uh, uh, use right they will then use that basis. most uh, banks can, can they also use the bank uh, the base rate as uh, yeah that yeah most banks for convenience purposes and actually to for uh, to be the regulations in the UK in particular but they have used the base rate as the basis for calculating the uh, the uh, you know the the rental. Uh-huh. Right. So in that case, the uh, rental charge will go up. Right. It depends upon what type of base rate has been agreed or the basis has been agreed with the with the bank. Mm-hmm. Seth, have you got anything? No, I was just going to ask. You, you it's, it's, it, it, it is interesting, and uh, uh, actually, Mansur um, Sahib is actually is. Uh, He's enlightening me on certain aspects of mm. which I which I didn't understand. I think the so uh, <laughs> this is uh, again another question, sort of following on from that. So, is the bank then allowed to borrow from the Bank of England, considering that that is also interest to fund these, or does it all have to come from the Muraba fund, and it can't go, it, you know, because if there is a liquidity issue, um, are they allowed to go to the Bank of England? Um, uh, to fix that, because then that will also be interest-based. Uh, right. <coughs> banks do not, uh, Sami banks uh, do not have facility with the Bank of England to borrow. I understand. Okay. So it is basically Mudarba funds. Yeah. Uh, Bank of England, on the other hand, set up uh, a facility for the banks to uh, pass the reserves, extra funds that they have. And this is called a Vakala uh, fund. Vakala right. is Mudarba, but the way the Bank of England acts as agent to invest the Islam funds from the Islamic banks right, into uh, profit-sharing arrangements. I see. So the bank has done a 
trade deal over the last uh, i will say 5 years right in coming up with this uh, with this product mm-hmm. the other hand you should also be enlightened on is the the government of the uk have actually already issued two islamic bonds yes yes right? i've seen yeah so the what does i mean yes what does i mean yeah so the government has also uh, issued these bonds in order to enable the banks the islamic banks to have liquidity because if you you know one of the requirements for liquidity for 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 banks is that you hold government debt mm. right that is of course 100% get um okay banking the uk government is going to go bankrupt so they repay it they will repay their debt <laughs> and they have then these bonds to help islamic banks to manage the liquidity and what would be the basis of those bonds what what makes them islamic are they asset backed what, what what would be the basis as to why their clusters because there would be a fixed profit there would be a fixed element of return uh, on those as well or is there not no 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 they they is on what we call ijara product uh, ijara is actually um, is leasing so what the bank uh, have done uh, with the with the government is that they have bought from the government asset government uh, buildings and have leased them back to the government i see on a rental so they charge rental to the government and that's a profit that is charged on those uh, those bonds those bonds are called by the way sukuk yes yes uh, yeah i've seen them mm-hmm. yeah. i haven't but i don't know in that in that, uh, in, that <laughs> no, no. in that field so yeah yeah no no i mean yeah. they're, they're very interesting i mean uh-huh. it's interesting that more and more governments are actually uh, releasing these kind of uh, uh asset backed um bonds which which makes sense yeah from from a sharia compliant um hmm. perspective do you think islamic banking is going to catch on in this country it is i mean there's a big movement in the uk uk mm-hmm. uh, for for islamic finance and they're now moving towards what they call tayyib economy which means a wholesome uh for the economy that's where the push is now going on is there are a lot of meetings being held in the uk and a lot of young entrepreneurs have set up uh, products uh, fintech products which offer islamic uh, uh, you know they 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 offer very great on islamic products um there are uh, fintech uh, uh, companies that are you know that 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 you can invest in um, in let's say short term uh, mortgages mm. uh, uh okay and our is there are a lot of companies around and this is more and more catching on but there is a lot of movement and the government in particular they have been encouraging the finance in fact the uk was one of the first governments around the world to adopt particular uh, regulation in order to enable islamic banks to uh sorry clarify mm. but happen or how the profit on their products will be uh, uh, charged for uh, purposes okay so the the government actually has been very keen over the last uh, i would say since 2003 the government uh, in changing regulation have been changing taxation also in order to facilitate the islamic finance hmm. thanks very much uh, mansoor uh, we have to move on 
Um, thank you for that insight. I mean, we, I mean, Saf has learned a lot, and uh, he's so uh, have you. He's a high. <laughs> I, I always learn a lot, but uh, you're a high flyer in uh, in the financial field. No, 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 so, high flyer. <laughs> uh, well, that's how I, how I see you as, and so we've both learned quite a lot. So thanks very much uh, for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Mr. Saf. Right, so we have to move now on to the uh, final uh, part of the show, which is, uh, I suppose, less important but more exciting, some would say, <laughs> is the sports review, and we're basically discussing the uh, the Premiership. So let's have a jingle first. Weekend World Sports Review. Salam, how are you, sir? Waalaikum well, salam, I'm fine, thank you. Okay, good. Um, uh, I want to go straight to, I think, what would interest you most. How do you see the North London derby faring out today? Hmm? I thought you might have been talking about the Man City having a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah, the derby at Arsenal this afternoon is, uh, I think, for Tottenham more than for Arsenal, uh, is really a look back as to what they were expecting the new manager, really. Mm. We started so well. I mean, the best that they've had for a long, long time, uh, two decades or three decades, maybe even the Premiership. Uh, but Arsenal are more of a settled side, and I think on paper Arsenal would be much happier to uh, going into the on, uh, into the match today. Mm. Do you think uh, Tottenham's kind of balanced itself out somehow with with the loss of Harry Kane? Is actually in 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 a in a funny way has almost been a a positive rather than a negative because they've managed to find a different sort of balance which which seems to be working for them right now or do you think it's just a manager, the, the effect of the manager? I, I, I think it's a combination of both to be honest with you because the managers that we've had recently uh, I mean they're very high flower the top managers in the world so forth uh, in Mourinho and Conte uh, but I think there was some fallback or there was something that was really uh, pulling the players back and that they were playing in a different kind of football that they were not, I mean, I wouldn't say used to, but they were mm. expected to play. And also with Harry Kane, it was a way of football that they were playing, uh, which I think suits them or suited them at that time. And with his departure, uh, surprisingly, not many Tottenham supporters the fact that he has gone. I mean, he's obviously taken away the number of goals and also the playmaker that he was. Yeah. Away, but I think with the new manager, I think it has he has come at the right time for me uh, to slot in there as well. And the way of, I I think their uh, trials is yet to come. Perhaps one of them is today. Uh, but the way whether or not he actually changes that will be something that I think will be a big big factor today. And how do you? I mean, Man City as well, just riding high. They just keep on getting results. I mean, even yesterday, getting a red card. And still, you know, getting over the line with their two 0 win—they they look pretty unstoppable at the moment. Oh well, same as last year. To be honest with you, I mean, the fact that the, the football that they are playing is sublime as well. Let's not forget that. I mean, a striker like Haaland. I mean, despite the fact that he's not firing, I mean, when I say not firing, he's not <laughs> yeah. scoring the goals, yeah. the chances that he's, he's been, that have been created for him, and the ones that he's scoring from out of the blue. They are a team to beat, not just in uh, thing in the Premiership, but in world football. I think they're one of the best team, the best team I would say at the moment. And even like you said yesterday, with the ten men, uh, I mean, Rodrigue was. I think uh, that was really a, something not very. Uh, this is something as expected of people. Uh, yeah. They are going to get a red card like this, and so it was a bad advert in that respect for Manchester City. Uh, but for the football, I mean, even with ten men, I think uh, they were the better side in the second half. I mean, so. 
like you say that they are seem to be at the moment uh, just un, 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 in defeat in, uh, in unbeatable at the moment Rodri so, Rodri yeah, yeah. Rodri is a key player for Man City do you think they're in trouble there in I mean he's going to be I missing. think they will regret yeah I think he that, that in discretion I think will come to regret I mean they're coming up to some uh, um, strong matches I mean one against against Arsenal. Arsenal. he'll be yeah. missing that I mean mm. sure that my having said that I, they're not even feeling the absence of De Bruyne. I mean, mm. <laughs> that he's the world-class player and he's not, he's not in the team at the moment. So they, the, the reserves that they have with Manchester City is something I think Guardiola really has built uh, such a uh, strong character and team down there that they don't feel these absences with so many uh, newcomers that can come in and slot in. Absolutely. Shait, uh, on, uh, I mean, on a, I mean, same town, different note. Man United going through ups and downs. Who knows what's you know whether they win, they lose. You know, like they they really are probably the enigma of of this league at the moment. What what's your take on them? And I mean, they they managed to get a get a result yesterday at Burnley, but uh, they're not really they're, they're not really impressing in any in any field whatsoever. Really, are they at the moment? I think Dan Hag had a very, very difficult job, not just on the field, but off the field uh, events have also not been helpful in that sense. And that was a good comment about it. He said after the match yesterday, that it was a much needed uh, victory that they needed. That anyway, apart from that, uh, he, he mentioned the fact that uh, uh, Greenwood played well. Obviously, he's the main naked at the moment as well. Uh, but I think he said that it was a much needed victory for them. Mm. No, absolutely. Um, other team that I guess, uh, you know, sort of, I think people had a lookout at the beginning of the season, um, sort of querying where they currently are is Newcastle. They've got Sheffield United, which is probably an easy game for them, but they they haven't really, they, they haven't really sort of clicked as they did at the beginning of last season, have they? I mean, they're sort of struggling yeah. around a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, three defeats, and I've just seen the record at the moment, three defeats out of five games for them, it's very, uh, and the side that they have, like I said, that one would have thought that they were in the top league, at the, in the top four at least, and after five games, nevertheless, early days, nevertheless. Mm. But I think they are not playing the football that we expected from them. Uh, and some of the other teams are, uh, I think, taking over the mental from them, even teams like uh, Brighton, for instance, are going way above... Point, yeah, punching way above the uh, thing on there. They look good. Yeah, Brighton, Brighton do look uh, do look good. Um, other game today: Liverpool, West Ham, uh, Chelsea, Aston Villa. Anything that sort of uh, screams out at you? I mean, Liverpool, West Ham playing pretty good, uh, pretty well, and Liverpool uh, also sort of again a bit like Man United. Yeah, ex- exactly. But I think the team that I'm looking at, Chelsea, are the ones that Pochettino is under pressure. The fact that their results are so up and down is unbelievable. Having spent so much money, they expect a lot more from him. Mm. And just five points after five games is just not, I think, that the Chelsea way. But Liverpool, West Ham, I think Liverpool, the way that they're playing in the, in the Europa League and that, I think they just also want just grind out results. And it'd be good to see West Ham who actually rejuvenated and standing in sixth position at the moment. Uh, so they have been playing well too. So it will be interesting, and that and they won at the Brighton Bournemouth. Obviously, Brighton would be looking for the uh, three points there. I think they kick on their. Uh, yeah, they they do look they top. they do look very good at the moment. I mean, they've been taking some uh, some big teams to to the wire and grinding out some good results. This Dzabi looks uh, looks I like mean, a force to be. That, yeah, you're absolutely right, Brighton. But even Burnley, when they lost yesterday, the fact that they haven't won a single game yet, 
they they do play good football. I mean, that's not uh, I mentioned to give them a good game, but they playing they are playing good football, and that's Premiership all about. All that's all about Premiership. I see some of the teams in Europe when they are playing, and there are not many teams that who can really punch above their yeah. hands, really, to be honest. With you. And that so nobody is at a, you can never know. I mean, in fact, the Brent Brentford lost uh, at home to Everton. Uh, one would not think that would be a result that one would expect it of them at Brentford the way they've been playing. So, Absolutely. Premiership, as I say, it's uh, a difficult league, the top league, as they say, in the world. Thanks very much, uh, Shane. Thank you very much for that insight. Uh, great to have you again. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay, that's all we have time for, I'm afraid. And uh, we're coming to the end of the show. So, assalamualaikum from me and Saif Ahmadi. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with Asan Ahmadi leading the show. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum salam.